0: Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Hey, everybody.
1: Steve Green here. My guest, Dahlia Kinsey, is in the studio with me today. Hello, Dahlia. How are you?
0: Great. I appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah, this is going to be really good. We are going to talk about a, a really important topic, I think, not just in the education world, I think just in the world, period, which is nutrition. Nutrition. Dahlia is a school nutritionist, a dietitian, and as a podcast, a brethren podcaster. Hers is called the School Nutrition Dietitian. Try saying say that 10 times. <laughs> Fast, while you're eating a peanut butter and tofu cracker. Um, But anyway, seriously, I think um, nutrition is, with all the stuff going on in the education world, uh, you know, testing and standard testing, I mean, there's a hundred things you can discuss. But one of the things that's a really common baseline is, are our children getting fed properly? Uh, you know a lot of kids unfortunately are reliant on school lunches sometimes school breakfasts so they're being fed by the school uh, I don't think I, I, I don't I can't cite it maybe Dalia can but there's tons of evidence you know having a good breakfast uh, making enabling learning much better for the kids during the day and on top of that having tried a high quality food as opposed to you know breakfast that's really sugary and So on and so on. So why don't we start it this way? Why don't, uh, let me give like a little background of where I'm coming from and I'll let you tell where you're coming from. I'll just get into some topical stuff here. So uh, my business is called Bake the Grade. I am a a academic support and tutoring company based in the Philadelphia area. Uh, We help families of children, basically school age, uh, elementary, middle, high school, and college to a degree, navigate the murky waters of academics about that? Uh, but my main thing on the podcast is to try to give families actions that they can take right away. You Literally pause in the middle of a podcast and go do something. So whether it's tutoring related, whether it's time related, whether it's information related, whether it's a better way to study, uh, that's where I'm coming from. So I think the link here to me is we have to nourish ourselves well. We have to. And this is a long term. This is not something you do one day and then you're fine for a year. Exactly. Uh, and some of the academic stuff can be a little bit of a quick fix that way. So I'm excited. I think we're going to learn a lot today. We're going to get some really good takeaways. Dahlia, tell me about yourself.
0: So like you said, I have my own podcast. The focus of my podcast is sometimes for professional development, topics that people who actually work in school nutrition would be interested in. But also I do some parent-focused episodes To try and encourage more communication between the parents and the operators and the students and the programs because our customer is the student. So, your child is our client. And so, we want to make sure their nutritional needs are satisfied, but we also want to make sure we're serving them things they actually want to eat because it doesn't matter if something's really good for you. If you don't eat it, it won't serve you. And it's something that a lot of people don't understand. You would think that if someone's really hungry, they would eat whatever you put in front of them. But parents know that children are strong-willed and if they don't want something, some kids would rather just go hungry than have something that doesn't appeal to them. So we really value our kids' opinions and we value communicating with our parents. Like you mentioned, quality nutrition is a foundation when it comes to being in a good place to be able to learn. And instead of looking at stats, I usually just tell people to think about the last time they were ravenous. Maybe you were too busy to eat and the day just got away from you. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden your mood crashed. You couldn't think clearly. You couldn't concentrate. Your brain really needs carbs, easily accessible carbs to function. And the first thing to go when you don't eat well is your mental clarity. It's almost impossible to learn and to behave when you're hungry and you really see that you can see it in yourself when people say like oh you're being a little crabby and you're like yeah it's really time for a me nice
1: going. way to put it <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i i don't remember i remember from biochemistry i think it's like 40 percent of your uh, energy you eat in a day is used by your brain which seems disproportionate because you got so many muscles and but that's that's the effect, and, and let me just point this out. Daya isn't just talking the talk; he walks the walk. Because this is your day job, right? I mean, you're
0: yes, exactly. I mean, you're
1: not just a, a book expert, so to speak. You are in schools; you are actually in the front line, making you know, making menus and uh, right. doing the acquisition of the food and things like this. What would you? Um, let's let's start out this way. Uh, let's start out this way. W- would you say is there a, one singular? Kind of challenge that that you see. Uh, it, I mean, let, let's talk about say balancing the whole idea of for a parent working at home, schoolwork, work, work, trying to prepare meals, trying to manage kids' schedules. Um, it, it it's challenging, right?
0: Yes, uh, it's it, challenging
1: anyway. Like you know, right, you got the typical people go off to work, they come home, they're stressed out. Now they got to cook a meal. The kids are screaming, and yelling like that. Um, but but. if we kind of think of this as almost like a reset point, what's the advice you would give parents?
0: To try and make things as easy on yourself as possible right now, because these are stressful times and you're being asked to do more than probably ever before all at the same time in like very inconvenient ways. You don't have access to childcare. Maybe you usually have someone come in and help with the house If you have access to things like that, you don't have access to that right now. So you really want to be looking for shortcuts and not focusing on perfection. Remember that the human body is very resilient and children are very resilient. Not every meal has to be perfect for people to be perfectly nourished. Your body can combine nutrients from a previous meal. You're just looking for balance over the course of the week, really. You're not looking to be perfect at every sitting. If your kids are big enough to feed themselves sometimes, you may want to put things out that they can access. So if you go on Amazon, which we can still order from Amazon right now, they're Child Mm -hmm. Safe Knives. If your kid is even four years old, I would say, you can let them help when you get your grocery orders in, cut up their little strawberries or their fruit or whatever it is they think they would like for a snack, and put it in little containers that you're comfortable with the serving size. Put them in the fridge where – it's at a level where they can open it and they can go in and they can get it and let them know this part of the fridge is for you. When you're hungry, you know, you can go over there. You don't have to keep interrupting my conference calls because you have the munchies. You can open the fridge on your own. I would mm-hmm. say put a lot of the responsibility, not a lot, put some back on the child, give them some freedom They're bored too. They're sick of being inside too. Give them something to do. So try and put the fun back in eating. A lot of kids enjoy having some autonomy. So if you can let them participate in the food prep process, that may help out a lot.
1: I guess you could also batch tasks. Like you could cut up five apples or whatever at a certain time and then just so you don't every time you want something have to uh, prep it. Um,
0: and just think they, with that yeah. one, I wanted to say, just think about the individual fruit or whatever that you're cutting up. If it's one that's likely to brown after you've cut it, you can put some drops of lemon juice or something on it to try and stop it from getting so That's
1: a real pro tip there.
0: <laughs> I'll eat a brown <laughs> apple, but, uh, but a five year old <laughs> will not
1: <laughs> that's yeah, that is true uh in terms of timing, you know there's sort of the classic three meals a, you know, three square meals a day sort of thing um I don't, I don't know where that is in the dietary uh, recommendations anymore but it it it, it when, we're, when we're trying to schedule a day academically like let's let's say right now you've got a couple kids at home you're trying to work as a parent you're trying to help get your kids functionally able to educate whether it's independently or hand holding them it is it important to schedule when you're going to have meals like maybe at eight o'clock we all have breakfast and you do school from nine to ten while i do some work What's your take on that?
0: I think biologically, you don't really need that. But I think as far as organizing your day and having some sense of normalcy and structure to the day, it may be helpful for your kids. Because during the day at school, they're used to being on a schedule. I would just want to try and tailor it to when they typically seem to be getting hungry anyway. So you don't want to feed them way before they're actually hungry, which is something that happens a lot when it comes to school because you get up in the morning, you're probably not immediately hungry, unless you're going through some kind of a growth spurt. Most people would want food, like you said, maybe around eight, but Mm -hmm. some kids are having to eat at like six 30. Who's hungry at six 30. So I would try and give them the option to continue to graze because children are growing and their body is the greatest authority on when and how much they should be eating, it's helpful, I think, to let them have some freedom as far as snacking goes. But for the sit down meals, you may want to space those out. So they work with your schedule.
1: So basically just trust nature but here's, here's the problem. I can hear what parents are saying at home. What if my six-year-old wants to eat at 7 o'clock, and my nine-year-old wants to eat at 11, and my third year old wants to eat all day, and my <laughs> teenager you know, will only eat when they wake up at 3 in the afternoon. Uh, that I, the, is exactly
0: I, how they will be, right? Everybody right, will right. be all over the place. Uh, right,
1: so. I, I get that. Um, well, I, I think the word that you said, which I'm going to agree with completely, is structure, Right. And and, I'm, and academically, that's the same thing because that's what I'm getting a lot. You know, how do how do I make my day work with all these uh, balls we're juggling in the air? And, and my shortest answer I give you is structure. You have to have an academic structure. You have to have a physical structure. Where's homework? One of the advice I've been giving parents lately is is create like a school room in your house. Like pay, make a part of your room or whatever. When you're sitting here, you're doing school. Uh, and I think you have to wrap the the nutrition around that a little bit, but. Um let, let's talk about quality of food. Okay? Cuz you can give a kid a Twinkie, which I I guess is the stereotypical junk food maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah, they recently um,
0: started producing those again, right?
1: I I I think that when it I was is. growing up that was like the the ultimate, you know, basically empty calorie carcinogenic uh thing you could eat. But uh not, and no disrespect to Twinkie lovers out there, but uh let's assume as a parent your goal is a nutritious uh, healthy, uh, you know, vitamin-rich uh, meal. Um, how do how do we handle that when we have limited access to go shopping? Right. I mean, you're taking your life in your hands, almost literally. Sometimes going to the store, uh, even when you get there, the we're not you know the the, the uh, stock of things may not be what you're looking for. But uh, as a nutritionist and as a dietitian, and and you know, you're what's your recommendations here?
0: Don't be afraid to use frozen and canned vegetables. So if you are trying to limit your sodium because you as an adult, maybe you have a health condition that requires that you can still buy canned vegetables that are sodium free or low sodium, or if the only thing you can find right now is, has the regular amount of sodium in it, you can rinse it before you eat it. Yeah, so get all
1: that extra stuff. Exactly.
0: Out of and then also um, typically what I buy canned is beans, but if you're cooking beans from dry, you don't have to add any salt and it doesn't require you standing there and really watching it. If you have it in a crock pot, of course, if you don't already have a crock pot at home, you're probably not going to be able to get one right now. So if not, just don't worry about that. I would say the frozen vegetables A lot of people think of all packaged food as bad for you, but the truth of the matter is frozen vegetables were picked at the peak of freshness and immediately flash frozen and preserved. So they're actually very fresh and nutritious. It is true, depending on how you preserve foods and how you prepare foods, some nutrients are more available or less available. Like if you have a raw tomato, you may get things out of it that you won't get out of a cooked tomato. But you just want to go for variety. And right now, if you can't get a fresh tomato, that's fine. Your body doesn't have to have it. We will not be living under these circumstances forever. And well, especially... let hope not. Yeah. Let's oh, my back. goodness. I'm uh, already freaking out at the, the possibility of it being like January 1 before the kids are back. I just said, oh, my goodness, please don't let yeah, that well, be. Yeah. Well,
1: that's, that's a, unfortunately possible. But
0: yeah. So I... I it, how would do
1: you recommend uh a family let's say planning out their meals? So maybe yes. you get together as a family on a Saturday or whatever and you say, Hey guys, we need to plan out seven dinners, seven lunches, we're gonna do like go to a big bulk shop, um, get the input. Uh yeah, I guess the parents ultimately have the sort of veto power if the right. kids <laughs> choices aren't what they want. But uh so so I to bring this all together our goal is to, to raise healthy kids, right? Right. And and we're assuming the diet is a big cone of that. Um, it, it, how much have you seen, and this is a little bit off script, but I it, I think it's an interesting question to ask. If we if you're able as a parent to establish good eating habits in a young child, today, is there any science or any research that that carries through later? Because I've heard every side of it. I've had... I have a kid. Something. Well, my parents were vegetarians, and they never let me eat. Let me eat anything. And I went to college and I became like a sugar addict, or because <laughs> they were unable. You know, they didn't eat ice cream every day because they weren't allowed to have it growing up. Um,
0: it, it, there is there is a lot of research to support that depending on how you guide your young eater, it could basically lay a foundation for how they relate to food for the rest of their lives. Okay. If you're too restrictive sometimes there's that rebound so like the kids who say oh they made me you know oh, i, I never only, i them. only
1: ate salad for 14 years and now they're-
0: yes and then they just got kind of to go off the rails so you mm-hmm. have to strike a balance it's your job as a parent to determine what they can eat but the body should decide how much and when so you determine what comes into the house but you don't need to tell your child when and how much. Now, for structure, yeah, to some extent, it may not be practical to just tell them, do whatever you want. But really, the, a young body doesn't need outside interference when it comes to how much food is enough food. They'll self-regulate. and
1: they'll self-regulate.
0: They will self-regulate. But you have to give them the freedom to do that. And then depending on the child, if they've never had that opportunity to self-regulate, it may take them a little while to find a balance. So still, even if you're young, your brain will have, it will play a lot of tricks on you when you think there's scarcity. So if you think, I can only have candy corn at Halloween, when Halloween comes around, you eat candy corn until you vomit. Yeah, now, if you were yeah. allowed to have candy corn all year, you would never eat to that point, you know? So if you have been restricting, there might be a little window there where they don't quite nail it.
1: I mean, I think there's a point of reasonability where the mod, you know everything in moderation is sort of a motto sort of idea. Uh, let, let, let's, uh, let's shift a little bit into behavior, because uh, I know when I was teaching, it was always you know, nobody wanted to have the class right after lunch, right? Because the kids would go to lunch, they'd get all you know, they'd be tired, they'd go to lunch, they'd get all sugared up, or, and then the class after lunch, they were just you know, like bees in a jar. Um, what's the, what's the relationship as you see it between diet, behavior, ability to learn? Cause that's really an important question, right? Right. Uh, I, I I'm sure there's an individual level here somewhere where everybody's going to react somewhat differently to, to different foods. But, uh, is there an optimal diet for academic, uh, optimization? Is there a kind of just a good one?
0: I think Is it just one, common
1: sense. I mean, talk tell us right. tell us what your feelings are here.
0: At this point, I would um, I would argue that common sense may not even be a thing anymore because we've all heard <laughs> so many different conflicting messages. Well, it's so, yeah. Right. Everything so, I but I would say that the USDA they put in a lot of work and a lot of research when it comes to what their recommendations for Americans are, and even people who pride themselves on eating super, super clean, and they're not impressed with what the USDA recommends. If you really read through the full document of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, you'll see that they're really on point with the research. Maybe they don't try and get the whole country to make massive changes at once. They're just trying to get people to make little steps in the right direction. But if you go and look at myplate.gov, Back in the day when I was a kid, we were using the pyramid, but now it's a plate. It's supposed to be an easy visual for parents and kids, everybody to see what does a healthy plate look like. It is more vegetables than anything else. So that kind of is common sense because we've all been told to eat our vegetables. Whether or not we're doing it is another thing. Then the fruit is there, but not in the same quantity as the vegetables. Protein is not the star of the plate. You know, and then there are whole grains there. All of those things help keep your blood sugar stable. I would say stable blood sugar is like the key to being able to behave <laughs> and being able to study. When you have spikes, that's where you see changes in behavior. So maybe you, yeah, exactly. That's ex- right. perfect. You captured it. It's because like a roller coaster. Being
1: able to, we're, we're, what I'm focused on is being able to learn. Right. Right. But, but you can't learn if you're not behaving. We're listening, able to listen and sit still. Uh, so lots of vegetables, a little bit less root, decent amount of protein grains. Um, how do you think schools are doing? I know you're in that business. Are we, are we doing a good job? I know it's not easy. I know there's economic pressures. I know there's probably political pressures somewhere along the way because there isn't everything. you got the government involved. Uh, but But generally speaking – How would you? How would you grade?
0: (laughs) I think, considering Considering how many cooks are in the kitchen, um, I'm gonna give us a a low B, I guess. And depending on where you are, how do we get to an A?
1: How do we get to an A?
0: I think we need to focus less on restriction and more on guiding the children toward having a regular relationship with all food. Like not demon, this is my opinion. Like, I don't think it's helpful to tell kids like, oh, have a Twinkie and that's it. You know, it's trash, it's poison. I think that's a little dramatic and it kind of creates this good food, bad food perspective. It's a false dichotomy. You know, everything can fit, like you said, in moderation. Mm -hmm. But you can't be moderate if some things are prohibited and some things are not. People crave what they can't have and you'll see it with anybody. I mean, they've done even on a small scale, you know, that test where they try and see how high a kid's ability to self-regulate is like they'll leave them alone with some marshmallows and tell them if you don't eat this marshmallow, I'll give you 20 marshmallows later. And then they leave them alone with it. Like if you restrict something, all of a sudden it becomes very appealing. But if you just let it be and you don't, you know, green light some things and restrict others. It's easier to be moderate. But the way we relate to food in this country is heavily influenced by diet culture, which is not about health; it's about weight management.
1: But yeah, kids right. shouldn't
0: be worried about weight management. No, We're not trying when to you're teach- Seven, or exactly. Eight. We just want to teach them how to eat a balanced diet over the life cycle, and nothing needs to be restricted. We need to teach them delicious ways to eat vegetables and delicious ways to be involved in food prep. So I think we need more of a focus on the practical skills of cooking and enjoying. If all you've ever been served is a boiled broccoli, there's a, um, a boiled broccoli florette. There's a reason why you don't want to eat broccoli and right. you haven't had it in its ideal form. I really think we need to focus on flavor and making things delicious and not bringing in that diety talk.
1: Well, clearly it's not just about the food when you're talking about institutional situation, right? Because you've got time constraints. You may not, if you can just throw something in for four minutes of prep versus an hour, sometimes that just is is how it's going to be. You've got volume. I mean, uh, how many children are in the schools that you serve? Probably
0: several hundred, right? Right, well. How many
1: meals are you making a day?
0: It's usually about 18,000, but okay, I mean, a lot, over a lot 38 food, right? different schools. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And some of the challenges that we face now is like the people that are in the workforce weren't raised by people who had the time to cook at home. So the people who fed me when I was in public school, they knew how to do everything from scratch. You know, people who now are in their 60s and 70s, they...
1: Because they have, grew up with that. They grew
0: up with that. Yeah. And now we're getting people who have never cooked anything. Maybe they prepared some things in the microwave. And so if we ask them like to even you, fold uh, in an ingredient.
1: a carrot. Or yeah.
0: They're like, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> <laughs> so
1: and, and listen, it, it's not like we expected to have gone to culinary school to work in a school cafeteria, but.
0: Home cooks used to know that though.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I grew up in Also we didn't never, ever ate out. Right. I don't know if they were cheap. They weren't cheap, but I think they just preferred. My mother was an excellent cook, and they just liked it better.
0: Were both of Uh, your parents working when you were a kid? Yeah. Well,
1: my mom was a teacher. My dad was in the education as well. But yeah, but they made it a priority, and that just was part of my uh, growing up experience. But I um, let me let me ask you one more question here: Is if there's one thing you could change? You know, we got this is the magic wand. I ask a lot of my uh, by people that we, we converse with here, if there's one thing you could change, bang, starting tomorrow or starting for the better, for something you would just get rid of, something you would add. And, and this is a cha- you know, we know there's challenges here, but I think you're doing the best you can. But w- what's the one thing maybe you could just bang and, you know?
0: I wish that the educational system wasn't so, I don't wanna say fractured, but everyone has their own objectives. And we operate as separate little teams. I wish it was more holistic because Ah. there's a lot of educational work that we could be doing as a nutrition department with other teachers. And the kids would leave us better off for it. So if the math department would take advantage of all the math lessons we could teach from a culinary perspective
1: counting calories or right or, fat or whatever
0: yeah even in baking you know it's very baking is so temperamental it's all about chemical reactions and you can't just eyeball measurements you really have to understand measurements and fractions and we also have a lot of gardens in a lot of our schools too and there's a ton of different lessons to be learned in a garden yeah, but oh yeah. for the most part all of these programs operate completely separate from the rest of the school system. And if there was more integration, I feel like we would cover a lot of bases with our students and it would even change the way they eat.
1: Interesting. Steve Green here, the success doctor, the make the grade podcast talking with Dahlia Kinsey school nutritionist and dietitian and the school nutrition dietitian podcast. And we are having a, uh, uh, you know, a riveting discussion. I think this is, personally, I think this is really interesting because it's so global. I mean, it, this just affects everyone. It's it's like school affects almost everyone, and this affects almost everyone in school. Uh, here's the good news, audience. We're going to do this again, Dahlia and I. We've got so much to cover. We're going to try to break this up into a couple episodes upcoming. And you can tell me if I'm wrong here, Dahlia. Uh, is there such a thing as brain food? I like that topic. We're going to save that. Uh, what educational lessons can we learn from food prep? We touched on that tiny bit. Positive side effects, bring your child into food prep, making it a family affair. Uh, food's effect on behavior. We're going to talk about this in the next episode. Let's let's uh, kind of summarize here. So if I'm a parent, well, I am a parent, but if I'm a parent with kids in school, uh, what, what is there anything I can do personally? Like if I'm packing lunch, my school, my kid isn't buying lunch at school. Isn't provided lunch at school. Uh, we got the MyPlate.gov, right? We got right. the. Uh, hopefully, the kids are willing participant in the uh, so called healthy diet. What's your message to parents? I mean, is there any direct interaction? Are you like a? How do I want to say this? In your role, how much interaction do you have with parents in your the districts you? I mean, you got a lot of schools. I really.
0: I almost only see parents for the kids on special diets. So, if a kid with a new diabetes diagnosis or renal okay. failure or allergies, I do see those parents all the time. Okay,
1: so so let's say here, here's your I want to give you the platform here. Every parent in your school districts is, is listening. Hopefully, they are. What, what's your message to them? What, what What are you telling them about how what you're trying, what your goal is, and what you would need them or like them to do to help you reach that goal?
0: Eating a balanced diet can be healthy and fun. Eating should be delicious and enjoyable. Let's bring the joy back into the kitchen.
1: I like that. That could be a t-shirt. <laughs> I like that. So so basically, if I can summarize, uh just you don't want this you don't want you want to develop a positive association with food for kids because that has, is going to have a lifetime effect. Uh you don't want, you know, somebody getting anorexia later because they're too worried about their body image. And that's a, I had a psychologist talk about that with boy, maybe even six months ago. I forget when we talked, but because there's so much social pressure, which isn't really the purpose of our discussion, but food is a part of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to give you the last word here. Anything specific uh, you want to, you want to say in closing, and then we'll wrap this up and we will move on to episode two.
0: Parents should really try and be easy on themselves right now. You can create structure, include your kids when you're planning. Like Dr. Green was explaining, it should be a family affair. But again, you are the one who's actually trying to juggle the job and the childcare and the teaching. So we need to prioritize your stress levels right now. And don't worry. The human body is very resilient. You're not going to break your child because they didn't have a fresh fruit for several months
1: (laughs) (laughs) there we go all right steve green from the make your grade podcast dahlia kinsey the school nutrition dietitian this is all about giving you ideas and things you can take action on go make a go make an apple and peanut butter (laughs) celery and peanut butter that was one of my favorite things growing up what's your favorite uh you got a favorite snack favorite healthy snack
0: I really do love peanut butter. I yeah, will put I, it on anything. So yeah, I'd probably do the apple and peanut. Butter. I
1: had somebody. I went to buy a the, the store near us. They actually grind it. Like they have they have the nuts in this thing, and you push a button, and it kind of comes out like ice cream almost, but it's peanut butter. They put in one with almond butter. So I was there one day and this woman's just tell me how much greater almond butter, so much healthier for you. And it's, but it also costs four times as much. She didn't tell me that until I got to the <laughs> checkout, but that was okay. So I, I made this sort of transition. It has more flavor almond butter. I, really, I, put, I put it in celery. It's delicious.
0: That sounds like something kids would love to play with. Yeah, something so you, they make it go yeah, and you got to the the tell them
1: it's a uh, Tootsie <laughs> Roll or something. <laughs> all right. We are going to wrap this up. Dahlia, thank you very much. Uh, guys out there and, and listeners out there, I, I really believe, and I thank all my subscribers and listeners for sharing the podcast and coming back and commenting on the community, on the social media by email. Oh yeah, Dahlia, tell, uh, do you want to give out any contact information? People oh can yes, reach
0: good uh, call. I realize that I keep telling people to follow me on social media on my podcast and no, I almost them never now. say do it, where. do it. <laughs> it's School Nutrition RD on Instagram and yeah. on Facebook.
1: School Nutrition RD, okay, beautiful. Uh, I am at Make the Grade or MakeTheGrade.net. You can figure out the rest, especially if you've eaten a good breakfast. All right, we will talk to you next time. Thank you very much, everyone.
0: You've been listening to Make the Grade with the Success Doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.